I'm Emily. And I'm Hannah. We are best friends and dietitians. We have a goal of challenging nutrition misinformation and fitness trends with an evidence-based approach. Each episode, we will dish up our thoughts about the latest facts on a popular health-related topic. We're the Upbeat Dietitians. Alrighty, everyone, welcome back to another episode of the Be Dietitians podcast. Today, we are joined by Jesse Holden. Jesse has been a dietitian since 2013 and has a passion for helping people trust their intuition in the kitchen to make cooking simple and fun. She finds that the diet-focused culture has taken the joy out of cooking, which is what she helps people restore. Jesse shares bite-sized tips, recipes, cooking classes, and more both on her social channels, blog, and private kitchen VIP community. Jessie is married to her husband, Steve, and is a mom to one two-year-old Lincoln with a second little nugget on the way. Ah, so cute. Hope you guys enjoy this episode with Jessie. It's a really good one. Enjoy. (laughs) I never know how to end that part. Okay. Enjoy, guys. (laughs) Hi, Jessie. Welcome to the podcast. We're so excited to have you here. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. I love your podcast. So happy to be here. We are so excited to have you because we've had some cooking expertise on here, but we're so excited to bring in kind of that intuitive eating piece because we always find a way to bring it in, but we love that it's the main focus for today. And we cannot wait to kind of talk to you about cooking without like diet restrictions and intuitive eating and all that fun stuff. But we always like to first start off with kind of giving a little introduction to besides the one we already gave it's kind of what uh day in the life looks like for you what do you do for work what's your past education what are fun things you like to do all that fun stuff so the floor is yours all right well um so I was born uh, I'm just kidding um (laughs) so basically I started my own business um almost a year ago I've been toying with the idea and kind of like playing around with it for a long time but I really I went all in kind of let's see April oh goodness probably April of 2021 I went like half in and like and then of April of this year I left my other job which was um, I was an outpatient dietitian at a hospital and I really did love that job, but I'm applying a lot of those things to what I do. So uh, now basically I, I work with one-on-one with clients. I do group classes. I teach cooking courses. I do a lot of cooking demos for different companies. That's one of my favorite things to do because I just, I have always loved teaching with my hands. <laughs> you might see during the, during the video of this, I'm a little handsy and I, I just like teaching with my hands. And I think the kitchen is such a great space to learn in. So Um, most of my job is in the kitchen. I'm either creating videos, recording podcasts or creating content or working with a client and showing them like how to cut an onion or how to cook this or how to do that. So I just find that those skills, I don't know, they just, they're, they're applicable to everybody and you can, you can tweak them, you can change them. But, um, it wasn't until probably about, gosh, probably like three, three three-ish years, four years ago. I even learned about intuitive eating and I've been a dietitian for nine years. And so I, I think a lot of people have followed that path where like maybe they were more weight centric and then they had their eyes open to a lot of amazing things and research. And so 
when I started discovering it, I was like, it just, it blew me away to be honest. I think it was a lot of philosophies I've like had in my heart, but to see it written out and to see how you can actually help somebody in this kind of way was really, I don't know. It just like, it, it made, it made me feel like an ignition for teaching cooking in a way that doesn't have to be like, gotta be locale, gotta be low fat, gotta be la, 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 la. Someone wants to do that. I fully support them. Go for it. But it doesn't have to be that way in order to be healthy. <laughs> Even that word is like, uh, kind of bugs me in the food world. <laughs> but um, so yeah, sorry. I know I rambled a bit, but hobbies and fun things. I have, um, I'm married. I have a two-year-old. He is a lot. He's so great. And he's so like talkative now, which is so much fun to like have these, these mini conversations with him. So that's been great. And we have another baby on the way in December of this year. So we're feeling, we're feeling excited over here. And I live in Michigan and I'm not on the Lake Michigan, but I'm near it. So um, we love going to the beach. We love being outside and love playing board games and watching Netflix at night. <laughs> oh, so awesome. Yeah. I wanted to say congrats on baby to come. That is so exciting. Yeah. Thank you. We're very, we're very excited. I'm, I'm actually like, as we're recording this, like this is day two of me not having any nausea. So like everyone knock on wood for me. Like, Amazing. I'm finally yeah. keeping food down again, which is like, unless, unless you have lived that, holy moly, it is, it's intense. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's really good to hear. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, we are just so pumped because cooking and intuitive eating can and should go hand in hand. And you're, you hit the nail on the head saying that like, oftentimes us dietitians maybe don't like learn intuitive eating. Emily and I are currently talking about that all the time, how mm -hmm. we were taught like weight loss, weight loss, weight loss. We should only be eating low calorie meals, whatever. So it's just such a cool niche that you have discovered and like bloomed in because it's so needed and yeah. not many people, well, I shouldn't generalize, but some people probably don't learn a lot about cooking, like at home, they just don't really yeah. know how. And so it's so important to like learn how to do that, but also do it in a way that's not diety. So that's so yeah. awesome. Yeah. I feel like, you know, people have asked like, well, what's your niche? Like, how can you narrow it down? And I'm like, eh, like <laughs> I, I either have people I work with who are like way into intuitive eating and like, they want that and they want the support in the kitchen with that emphasis, which is wonderful. And I also have people who are like, I cannot cook. I don't know what to do. I don't know how to make meals. And, and their language is like, I want to make healthy meals for my family. And there's so many like ideas out there of how that is supposed to happen. Um, so it's an honor to like teach them how to cook, but I get to do it in a non-diet way, which is like just super sweet. I don't know. I love it. Yes. Gentle <laughs> nutrition. Yes. I love it. Yes. <laughs> Well, I feel like we already answered, we already talked about the first point we were going to go over was can intuitive eating cooking coexist was the answer is yes. Um, let's talk about more though, a little bit more, I feel like a little, the advanced side or like they viewed as advanced doesn't have to be that crazy, mm -hmm. but the meal planning and meal prepping side of it, can that be incorporated with intuitive and can that kind of coexist with intuitive totally. eating? Totally. And like, I, I love doing um, one-on-ones in group education for this reason, because I feel like everyone who I've ever worked with on this is always in very different places with their journey, whether they have even gone through the journal or they worked with a um, certified intuitive eating counselor or another therapist or somebody, and they've gotten this 
footing or I've had people who have like, you know, no experience in intuitive eating. So when it comes to meal planning, first, I like to just kind of ask them, what is meal planning to you? Like, because I think a lot of us have this idea and maybe this is a diet mentality, but like the first thing that always used to come to mind for me for meal planning was like a bazillion containers. <laughs> and like, that works for some people. And that's so cool. To me, that's like the most like stress inducing. <laughs> like, I can't even, uh-uh. I don't even want to think about it. So at first I like to see like, what is meal planning already look for? an individual or a group of people. What do you want from meal planning? And then what are we, what are some red flags of dieting? That's something I like to go over. Like how might those things pop up when you're meal planning? Cause I think when you're learning the principles and hopefully you're getting support from somebody um, certified or licensed or something like working on that together. I like, I think it's important that like, we just know that the thoughts of old dieting thoughts or the shoulds like, Oh, I should really do this. Or I should really do that. Like they're going to pop up. Like, I don't, I don't fib to people and say like, Oh, you're going to be cured. Everything's going to be great. Like, that's just, that's not my approach. Um, so I think with meal planning and even prepping, like you figure out what they do now, where can they go from here? What do they want from here? And how can they just be aware of where those thoughts might pop in and what strategies do we have to combat those thoughts? Cause really a lot of this is is due to our thoughts. Yeah, I love that. I am definitely the same. When I think of like, well, prior to becoming an intuitive eating dietitian, meal planning and prepping was like, you've got your grocery list, it's all perfect. You've got Tupperware out the wazoo, all day Sunday is gone because you're just spending the whole day chopping and cooking. And so I always say it's like a spectrum. Like if that's the piece that makes you feel good, you're prepared for the week, that's really awesome. Yep. Um, hopefully it's not in a diety way, but if it is, hey, if it works for you, that's great. Um, but it can be as simple as like prepping ingredients, like cutting up the peppers that you're going to have to cook on Wednesday, maybe getting like your salmon in a marinade. So you can just throw it in the oven the next day. So exactly. it's definitely a spectrum and wherever it kind of lands for you is best case scenario. Yep. And I, I like to tell people, like, I think that's something I love working on the most within the kitchen is building confidence, whether it is in meal planning, cooking skills, um, intuitive eating skills, mindset, any of it, because yeah, you're going to be on the spectrum, but you have to find what works for you and you have to feel confident and like, you have to feel good about it. Cause if you don't, something's probably off and then we just have a little more work to do. Totally. That's, mm -hmm. Yeah. I think also the, there's so many common themes between we're going to, we're going to link the other cooking episode. Um, you would, you would love it. <laughs> it was a lot about like building confidence in the cook kitchen, both like simple meals. So this is like, like a perfect, like they go, they're going to go so well hand in hand. Mm -hmm. So it'll be great. So we kind of talked about how like you can incorporate intuitive eating with like cooking, meal mm -hmm. planning and prepping. If someone's not even in the wheelhouse of thinking about intuitive eating, they're like still very much in that diet culture world, have that dieting mindset. How might that make cooking more difficult? Yeah. In, a very open question. <laughs> yeah, no, but I like, I'm ready. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I, I think some of the big things that stand out to me and people I've worked with in the past are one that like 
dieting typically takes you sometimes away from your family and away from your family meals. And not everybody has a family and maybe some people are on their own, but it actually can still influence them like when you're with friends and family. So that's a little bit of a sidetrack, but let's say you're cooking for your family and you are making a spaghetti dinner, like the most basic meal I could just pop up in my head. Um, but you say like, I can't have this or like, I shouldn't eat this pasta. Like I, I need to drink this shake instead. Or I've even seen people who, um, they like, they look really, they look really down in some of the posts I've seen where they're like drinking my shake and everybody's eating like their meal around them. And it was, um, they had like rice and tortillas and beans in this meal. And I was just like, man, if I could just tell you, <laughs> there's nothing wrong with any of those foods. Um, that's a big way. I think it can really take away your food experience and the social and cultural aspects of food. So that's like a big way it can make cooking or, or planning a lot more difficult. Um, I think a lot of people who are in a diet or in that mentality, a lot of them are still measuring everything or like, and I mean, like measuring their portions, like I'm not against measuring spices. I get that. That's a, that's a good skill to work on. And then you can wean away from it if you want to. Um, but like portioning out their foods, weighing all their food, counting all their food, like feeling like, oh crap, like I'm out of calories. Like, what am I supposed to do? Or, oh, I need to make up for this. If I eat this tonight, I need to make up for this later. So I don't want to plan on a pasta meal, even though that's like, budget friendly for my family because I can't have fought. like it just to me even doing that in my mind I'm like I'm overwhelmed and I think that's why um a lot of those initial like 30-day pushes um try this for three months like that's why people burn a lot on those type of things too because it's so much all at once and like I just see that making cooking so overwhelming where if, if you feel like you can cook in a nourishing and a satisfying in a delicious way and provide for yourself and family like that's freedom to me if you feel like you can do those things without having to agonize over like the calories the points the this the that like it's gonna make cooking a much more enjoyable experience and then hopefully prevent prevent things like binging and, and um, negative self-talk and things like that which often happen when people are on diets so um, so yeah, it can really make cooking quite a bummer. <laughs> I mean, yes. it, can like, it also can like suck the flavor out of food if we're like, oh, it's gotta be low fat. Oh, you have to go no salt and you have to do this. It's like, that's why I don't like when people post things. I mean, I, I don't like a lot of things on TikTok and social media, who does, uh, except for trolls. Um, but I, I just think if I put out there, like, this is a, a low salt recipe, I think that tells somebody like, oh, well, that's healthier, but it's like, it may not be. <laughs> it doesn't mean anything except, okay, it's lower salt in what way. And if that's appropriate for somebody and they can do these, like you can work with people one-on-one -on -one when they have different health conditions that require maybe a little more finesse or learning in the kitchen. But to just put out there like healthy turkey tetrazzini, it's like, why is that healthy? Like, so it also just makes cooking very, um, I don't know, isolated and convoluted and just overwhelming to people. Yes. Maybe good, maybe good for SEO to throw that healthy in there, but 
Yes. That's about it. <laughs> yeah. And that's, what's so unfortunate about our, like yes. the food blog industry is like a lot of people do things just for that search engine optimization. Mm-hmm. And, and I've, I've had my way of like trying to do certain things for SEO, but I just won't compromise on certain things. So if it's like, Oh, if that's not going to go out because of this, then whatever. My best recipe is, um, a Harry Potter, butter beer foam like replica like that gets me like all the <laughs> amazing every day amazing. I don't know why it's just it's going <laughs> yeah um I wanted to add speaking of like the tracking and how that can like just make this whole cooking experience just not fun I hear clients tell me all the time that they will avoid making a home-cooked meal because it's so much harder to track on a fitness pal yeah. that stinks so they choose like a lean cuisine which can be fine of course not anti-lean cuisine it can be a great easy dinner but they will choose that and similar things time and time again and get away from the kitchen because it's just so much easier to scan the barcode on that. Yes. No, exactly. I think, no, that's such a great point that like it, the planning that has to go into like your calorie counting and your tracking, depending on how specific your, if it's calories, if it's macros, if it's points, if it's, I don't know, I don't know them all anymore or maybe that's it. Um, like, it just if it makes you not cook if it can take away a whole skill from you and like you said there's nothing wrong with frozen meals I support that all the time but if it if you're not actually satisfied by that meal and a lot of times my clients would say like oh I was so hungry after I ate that frozen meal why and we can talk about that but like and then and so okay this might be a side note too but like sometimes then if that's where somebody's at we might just talk about that gentle nutrition piece if that's where they're ready for to say like, okay, if you want to do that lean cuisine or frozen meal, like what kind of ways could we cook a little and add to it? Mm-hmm. Um, just to get them even transitioned away from choices that are only being chosen because they fit and they're more easy to, to track on it on a app or a calculator. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's good advice. Like how can we make this so it does just satisfy you a little bit more? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and I think that's a good question for clients to be honest with themselves about like, was that meal and that amount and everything like satisfying? Were you full? And that's how you go through the principles and you talk about all those things, but really with cooking, it just, um, I don't know. It just, it needs, it needs ingredients. It needs, um, love and satisfaction and all these things. And if we're missing that because dieting's taking those away, like I think the kitchen just becomes like a really daunting and horrible place for some people. Absolutely. Okay. Let's go into like our next topic. It's a little bit of a shift, but kind of, I guess this whole thing is pretty cohesive, but I guess the question is what are some popular cooking beliefs that are actually like rooted in diet culture? So like we mentioned a little bit already, but like having to eat clean or that you have to shop the perimeter of the grocery store to get the healthiest ingredients. Like what other things like that are things that you hear quite often that may be rooted in diet culture? I think, a, I think a big one is, is anti-carb. I think that is like one of the biggest ones. I think all three of us and hopefully every dietitian we know and meet is probably going to fight the anti-carb thing for like ever and ever and ever. Um, So that's a big one where it's like, oh, you shouldn't have rice. You should have cauliflower rice. If you like cauliflower rice, great. If you don't, also great. Um, It's it's the shoulds. It's a lot of those shoulds are coming from diet culture of like, I should do zucchini noodles instead of pasta because that's better. It's it's when you're, I think you can kind of catch and challenge some of those beliefs if they're coming from a lot of shoulds and like, 
well, I remember when I followed that plan, I did this, so I should be doing that. Who was telling you that plan? <laughs> like, did it really work? Like, and what does it mean to work for you? And was it satisfying? And so um, also the one of like eating clean or one, like one thing I'm kind of sick of that's getting pushed out there in cooking is like when an influencer or someone will say like, oh, well, if you cook this, there's no point to eating it because you've lost all the nutrients. And I'm yes. just like, give me a break. I don't care if I lost a little vitamin A because I cooked my spinach. Like I just that I don't know why that that like irks me so much my husband actually just brought that up the other day he's like I I learned this I'm like oh why why is this what we're talking about like in the break room um, or they'll be like there's no nutritional value to it anymore yes. I heard that yes. recently and I got so it was like empty calories yeah and, and I was like what do you mean there's no nutritional value? I'm like, you're definitely getting something out of it. Right. Like, like, there's no way. There's no, none. Nothing. Like, maybe air. That's air? Like the only thing I can think of that has right. no nutritional value. <laughs> Did you serve air for dinner? Like, <laughs> I, yeah. yeah, I don't know why that bugs me so much, but I think it's because it like anything that any diet or any um, influencer or any, anything out there that is telling people like, that a food or a cooking experience isn't worth it is so just backwards <laughs> like punk it's just bonkers to me it's like I don't care if you do iceberg lettuce if that makes you enjoy your sandwich more fantastic get that like get that fiber get that hydration I, I people always hate on iceberg lettuce and I'm like yes I love iceberg, iceberg lettuce, lettuce. like poor thing <laughs> I know it's like that and like poor carrots, poor bananas, like, oh, the, the fruit has too much sugar. That's, you know, that's a big thing rooted, of course, in diet culture that again, can ruin a lot of cooking experiences. I just made this great, like, um, uh, dish that has like chicken and bell peppers and onions and you cook it in orange juice and water and thyme and lime Ooh. juice. And it like simmers for a long time until it's like this thick, delicious. So it's like, Ooh. that's like completely off the table. If, if orange juice or fruit is bad <laughs> so it's yep. like it just eliminates so many options I don't know if that answered the question I think I went off topic it did it did that's did. so great so I guess the part two to this though is if people are hearing it or they have these thoughts they're like okay I heard that I should only eat cauliflower rice instead of rice if they're having thoughts like this, how should they start to challenge these beliefs? Yeah, I think there honestly are just some key words to start like listening to. And I, I teach this to some people just to start listening to the way you talk about food. If you are shooting on yourself a lot, if you are, I have to do this, I need to, which are all the same as I should. Um, or if it's, uh, I heard this, therefore I need to only do this. When you have like that, um, really normal self-talk. I want to make sure people know that that's hundred percent normal. Mm -hmm. Um, or when you have that really limiting thought about food, it's like, it's only got to be this way, or it's kind of a all or nothing mentality with the food. I think even just starting to be aware of like, um, those really normal thought patterns, but how they may be like limiting you in the kitchen or in like impacting your ability to cook in a way that brings you joy. And, and meal plan and use up your groceries, like without beating yourself up every week. Um, I think those are, I think listening to your language is just really helpful. And honestly, 
I could find a direct link for you guys if you want, but like you can look up um, like I think there's 10, like 10 most like unhelpful but normal thinking styles. I used to mm -hmm. teach this a lot in a program where like we would say like these are really, really, really normal. These are really often like limiting and impacting different things in your behaviors in your life. So in what ways then can we challenge that? Um, so a lot of times too, I'll tell people to start asking what questions instead of why. Um, like some people say like, well, why can't I have rice instead of cauliflower rice? And like why sometimes can be helpful. Oftentimes like a what is more helpful. A, you know, what can I do to make cooking more enjoyable? What can I do to get this belief system changed? Or who, who can I reach out to? Um, preferably a dietitian, someone licensed in nutrition, please. Yeah, I do. Um, <laughs> um, but like, what, what are my options? You know, I think asking like what questions, who questions and pausing and asking if those are like limiting thoughts at all. And like, number one, I say all the time is like, show yourself unconditional compassion. Cause even if you're just trying to step away from diet culture, or maybe you've never dieted, but you're still not wanting to get into that road, um, or you've had an eating disorder, whatever it is. I just think it's so important to show yourself compassion that like thoughts pop up without our, um, permission. <laughs> they, you know, we have a thought, I can tell you both, like, don't think about the white dog. And you're going to think about a white dog. Like <laughs> you can't stop that thought. Um, but you can plant a seed and you can work on your second thoughts and you can work on showing yourself compassion. So I think that's like, that's my number one is be compassionate towards yourself. That's amazing advice. I remember like, yeah. even in school to become a dietitian, we were taught to not really ask our clients why. So not right. only should you not ask yourself that probably depending on the question, but we were taught to not really ask questions in that way and ask more of what, how, who, when, where, because mm -hmm. it is just less judgmental than like, oh, why did you eat that for breakfast? It's like, mm -hmm. what led to you choosing that for breakfast? Often yeah. it's going to be more compassionate seeming and just a better way. So whether it's an RD listening, it's a great advice for that. But um, even talking to yourself, I think that's amazing to try to limit those whys. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I find whys are usually the culprit of like ruminating and um, like circular thoughts that like never really seem to end. And they, they're, they're rabbit holes that can be really dark for some people. So it is important to just, I think just having a couple key things to think about one at a time, maybe even is important too. Don't, over, if you're listening and you're like, all right, I'm overhauling my kitchen. Like, no, don't do that. <laughs> leave all your food in there, take it a day at a time, like one goal at a time. Um, cause that's just important to take it slow. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Our last little question for you is what are your best tips, top tips for our listeners? If to kind of cook without food rules or restrictions. I don't know if that really makes sense. Like yeah. what are, what's the best way to get there? And yeah. I think like, I think a couple, well, there's so, I mean, there's, there's a lot of different, yeah. <laughs> but, um, to like have a couple of takeaways. It, if you are somebody who has, has dieted and you don't want to do that anymore, but you're confused or lost or daunted by like, what do I do with all this food in my kitchen? 
I find taking an inventory is a great step, whether you're working on budgeting, non-dieting, um, you're working on cooking skills, anything like take an inventory um, and, and like write down, it's a little time consuming, but write down everything you have in your freezer, everything in your pantry, everything in your cupboards, toss out the things that some, I encourage some people, it's appropriate to toss out things that are holding you back to diet culture. Um, I don't like to waste food. So I like to tell people like, there's probably ways we can use certain things, but if not, maybe you can donate it if appropriate, um, give it to a friend if appropriate or toss it if appropriate too. Um, so you can kind of purge your kitchen a little bit, but by no means you need to toss out all your food. Cause a lot of diets will tell you to do that. And you see that on shows too, right? They're like, we're gonna revamp your kitchen. We're tossing everything out. I'm like, what a waste, <laughs> like what a wasted opportunity. Um, so an in inventory, I like to do that sometimes, um, depending on where someone's at in their journey so that we can just start talking about food I mean, like, okay, you've got chicken in your freezer. You've got lentils in your pantry. You've got this, you've got that. And I just like to start thinking of ideas or have them research ideas of ways that they could use the food that they have on hand. So that way it doesn't slip into that diet mentality of like, you need to buy 50 better ingredients in order to cook healthy. Cause that's the other thing diets do. Like you must have avocado oil and olive oil. And I, I do like those things, but they're not accessible to everybody. Like, so that's a really important <laughs> piece to remember for other people if you're uh, everybody's judgy in some kind of way and can work on their own biases but there's a lot of bias toward like grocery shopping and um what people keep in their kitchen tangent but <laughs> um so the inventory you know taking out or looking at um diet foods you might be keeping um so once you've got the inventory and you're starting to think of like here's how I could start using some of the food I have. And I usually recommend writing that down or putting it in a Google doc. Then if you are somebody who's like, okay, I want to explore more. How do I really get diet culture out of my kitchen? It might be if you keep a food scale and if it's not serving you in a way of baking with exact measures, um, which is the only time I pull it out. If I'm using like Mary Berry from the Great British Bake Off, like all of her recipes in the book I have are in grams. So it can serve my purpose and it's not harming me. So, and some, for some people it is. So like getting rid of some tools that might've like been a part of your dieting past, maybe scanning through any magazines or books you have in your kitchen lingering around that are saying like low cal recipe swaps for this, like everybody's ready for those things to be back in their life and back. Cause they're going to be there, right? The media is going to push that new cookbook and they're going to push that at the, at the bookstore. So I think if you're equipped with tools, by the time you see all that stuff, you might be able to pull a recipe from a book like that and really love it and be completely satisfied and have, and just move on. I don't find a lot of people start there. So either get rid of those books and magazines and recipes or tuck them away for now. Um, so those are just a couple things to start with, but, and I, I think it just goes back um, to asking yourself like, what foods really satisfy you? And like, what foods are you really missing in your kitchen? I love seeing that because, and I, I mean, I'll be honest, a lot of times it's carbs. <laughs> it's a lot of times like I really miss rice or I really miss pasta, or I really miss this one meal that my mom taught me how to make. And I haven't been able to make it because it's too many calories. And it's like, 
those are like conquerable recipes and cooking tasks that like, depending on where someone's at, we put that on a higher level goal. <laughs> Maybe someone's not ready yet. Um, but I think sometimes even just like asking yourself what, what tastes, what textures, what smells, what experiences do you want in your kitchen? What are you excited to work for so that you feel that like excitement and momentum, but you also take it like that day at a time and you use more of what you have on hand. That's something I really try to help people with is like a lot of people have food in their house that either they're just not using because they're not planning or they don't have the tools or the education to do that yet or they're afraid of their food and it goes bad and then they feel guilty because they're wasting food because oh I was dieting again so it's like I just want to get I just want to get guilt like out of the kitchen for people that's like it's not a guilt-free kitchen I'm not using that diety lingo either but I want guilt to be out of people's cooking experiences and so out of all those, I know those are a couple different tips, but I think any of them are places for people at least just to start either challenging old beliefs or unlearning a little bit or relearning or just exploring, just explore what those things could offer you. Be open to it. Yes. Something we always say is like, be curious, like be curious yeah. about these different things. Mm-hmm. Um, I was thinking you're talking about all of that i in my like membership i do this like social media detox and i always preface that we don't love the word detox when it comes to nutrition but i was thinking of what we're talking about like a kitchen detox but Mm -hmm. not detoxing like different foods that are quote unquote unhealthy for you it's ditching all those different diet or tools and detoxing of those different things so that's where my brain was at while you're talking about all that kind of stuff (laughs) yeah and you know it's like there are parts of me that want to recapture some of those catchy, buzzy words like detox or whatever. Um, and so sometimes I think that has a great purpose. Like, yeah. you know, like I am the professional and I can use this word and actually educate you and remind you that you have a liver and kidneys, hopefully, and <laughs> that you do the natural detoxing for you, uh, working bowel system in any way, you know, it's like, yep. Yeah, but I, I think it's kind of fun to reclaim those things. So everybody has their own journey. And I always think that's one thing in like the um, the intuitive eating space that can get lost, I see in different accounts. Like it's really, and it's hard. Like you have to be aware of like where everybody's at in their journey and you simply can't be. So your every single post that any of us make is not going to be like 100% perfect, accurate, like applicable to every soul. <laughs> on the planet and we know that um so that's why like I I hate when I see the language of like uh that makes it all these ultimatums (laughs) and all this all or nothing thought so it's like I don't know that's another good thing to be aware of if you're a kitchen detoxing you can be aware of those all or nothing um thoughts or influencers or people who are like making you fearful of perfectly safe ingredients um like canola oil is like a big oh one. my gosh like, don't have canola oil. I'm like yeah and like I said access is really important to me I used to teach cooking classes um only in um lower income spaces in this community I live in and it was wonderful because I felt like I could actually tell people like you have the tools oh but this is my budget that's okay <laughs> like we can work with that like 
and, and canola oil always comes to mind because uh, you know they get told like they shouldn't use it and I'm like you just took away so much for somebody in a kitchen like it's incredible what words can do to people yes the canola oil it's I know poor canola oil <laughs> so unnecessary we're gonna like record a full episode on that actually pretty soon I'm very excited about that good yeah oil is kind of a hot topic at least in SEO <laughs> it is oh yeah yeah. yeah it's a lot of fun <laughs> try to try to um I don't know challenge those things like you said so if you're listening and you want a kitchen detox and that word like just makes you excited to just give the big f you to diet culture then do it <laughs> yeah it's all about like the the like the reason behind the words. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. If it works yeah. for you, go for it. <laughs> yeah. Cool. So I feel like you already, you gave them so many amazing tips and you provide us with so much great knowledge and insight. We always like to end or pre-end, not at the end, mm-hmm. um, of the serious part, the end, <laughs> kind of leaving our listeners with a couple sentences of your last final thoughts about the entire podcast I know we talked about a lot yeah if you could summarize either like your the points you want them to hear the most Mm -hmm. in a couple sentences what would it be my philosophy and this is the this is my business model this is what I operate on is that cooking and nutrition is meant to be livable doable and fun if we are missing one of those pillars or one is crumbled down because of diet culture or because of all kinds of different factors, then that's what we work on building back up. And I want to say that nobody is hopeless in the kitchen. Nobody. (laughs) Even if you burn boiling like rice, which actually happens quite a bit. Um, Like nobody's hopeless in the kitchen. You can take your skills from A to C or C to then Z, wherever you want to go. Um, And also if you hate cooking, that's also workable in the kitchen. We don't have to cook. I'm actually doing a whole, well, while we're recording this in the month of um, June, I'm doing like no cook meals because some people really don't like cooking, especially in the heat of summer. Um, So you don't have to cook. Like you can put all these different foods on your plate that require no cooking and you can redefine what your meals look like. But, you know, a lot of times food rules tell us like, well, eggs are for breakfast and (laughs) this is for that. Um, so banish the rules in your kitchen. And if you need help, that's what we're here for. I love that. It like all comes down to just not having those rules. You can eat whatever, whenever, technically. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yep. And it's like the scariest thing, I think for people to like hear that and like work it into their life. But Mm -hmm. once they, once those gears are clicking, it's fantastic. So if like, if food rules are ruling your kitchen, then, then reach out. Cause like we, we can change that. Yeah. In so many ways. Yeah. Absolutely. Amazing. Okay. Amazing. Let's <laughs> get into the bonus question. I am like very excited. I feel like Jesse, you'll have a much better answer for this than Emily and I will. Maybe, I don't know, Emily, maybe you will, but no, my I answer is terrible. So be great. <laughs> Jesse, why don't you do us the honor of going first and answering? So the question is, is white chocolate actually chocolate? Oh, I mean, it's, <laughs> it's a blend of a lot of very similar ingredients. <laughs> so it's like, it's not, um, it's not actually chocolate in the way that we're talking about chocolate, but a lot of times what people think chocolate is, is not actually chocolate either. 
if we're being like super technical in the kitchen. Um, so no is my answer. White chocolate is not chocolate, um, but it is a very similar blend of ingredients. If you're comparing it to like the chocolate that we see on the candy shelf or on the chocolate chips in the baking aisle or like the chocolate syrup added to chocolate milk. Yes, it's similar to that, but it's not actually chocolate. Uh, what are your thoughts on that? <laughs> that's that's always been my understanding is like, it is just, it's the same, but not the same. <laughs> like mm -hmm. technically no, but we can call it that because it is so similar. It depends like who you're talking to. Like if you're talking to like Gordon Ramsay, no, you're not going to call it chocolate. <laughs> but like, you'd not say that. No. Also, I'd be scared exactly. to talk to him in general, but I, yeah. I definitely would never say that to him. I feel like yeah. that would just be cause for concern. Um, yeah. But yeah, I think it depends how technical you want to get. I've also always heard like, no, it's not, just mm -hmm. depending on like the ingredients that are in it. Yeah. It's like, it's, I mean, you can make what the um, white chocolate, milk chocolate, dark chocolate, and all of those may not actually be what chocolate <laughs> is. Right. <laughs> so I don't know. That is so fascinating to me. I think now I kind of want to dig into the history of like what happened to chocolate. <laughs> what <laughs> what happened do? to chocolate? <laughs> <laughs> like I'm going to do an episode on like food in the kitchens that are victims of diet culture. Like, Ooh, that'd be wild. <laughs> right? Even that's actually a really good idea. Yeah. Right. That, thank you all for that. Put cauliflower in there too. That one's oh, like, did anyone ask it? It didn't want all of this. No. <laughs> Poor cauliflower. Yeah. Poor, like, all so many fruits and vegetables. I know. Or, like, somebody told me they were like, oh, I'm starting this plan. And I'm like, cool, like, happy for you. That sounds great because they're not a client. It's not someone asking my actual opinion. So I just, I don't, I don't right. know. That's yep. how I handle certain ones. Um, and they were <laughs> like, well, I can't have like beans and lentils. Like, what do you think about that? And I'm like, I think that's bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why they're all like, I don't know. That's amazing. Yeah. It's like an odd food to demonize, especially like one yeah. that's so like high in fiber and like filling and tasty and yeah. A and staple in so many it, cultures. Like, yeah. I was yes. just going to say that. Oh my gosh. Like, yes. Cultural food, like dieting is also, I mean, that's a whole different episode you could do. Yes. Um, oh yeah. We're, we have one plan. It's know? on the list. <laughs> yeah, it's fantastic. Yeah. Cause like, yeah, dieting can totally ruin um, and take away people's entire culture, which is terrible. It's terrible. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Anywho, white chocolate's not chocolate. <laughs> yeah. Emily, do you have any other thoughts on this? My only thought was chocolate is a construct. And I was thinking of the, <laughs> whoa, that's so cold. I was going to say yes, only because of the white milk, dark chocolate argument, mm -hmm. but I don't even know the, like, I could not tell you what, I don't think I could tell you what chocolate is. What is chocolate? I don't yeah. even know. I think it is like, and then also like red velvet. Yeah. Okay. That whole thing. Okay. That's like, actually going to be a good bonus velvet. question. Because <laughs> I was like, chocolate is a social construct. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> so I was going to say, it's a very, I don't know. Cause I was thinking like, what would you describe it as? Is it vanilla? Wait. Like it's red dye isn't isn't red velvet like just red dye. oh wow. i was talking about white chocolate but also yeah oh, isn't that yeah. Dark, no but to your point yeah red velvet isn't it just the dye red dyed chocolate right yeah. that's it but like it's a whole controversy yeah 
there is like a whole baking world in in the cooking world that like is very fascinating to me. Right. Yeah. I'm thinking like what you said, Jesse, about like chocolate syrup. And then you also have like the chocolate, like ice cream versus like a truffle, like chocolate truffle. Those are all completely different forms of chocolate yeah. that are all still chocolate. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That could mm-hmm. be another episode. You guys are like, you're filling my schedule. This is great. <laughs> good. Chocolate history and like foods that have been personally victimized. <laughs> episode name yeah. right there. That's perfect. Yes. yes. Yeah, exactly. That's awesome. <laughs> Well, Jesse, thank you again so, so much for coming on today. It's going to be an amazing episode for our listeners. We love being able to discuss like actual, like tangible stuff, like cooking that everyone for the most part has to do as adults. Yeah. <laughs> they don't warn you when you like become a grown up, you have to like cook forever and ever and ever. So Great. it's good to you be able yourself. to do that. Yeah. It's good to be able to do that in like a not diety way. So thank you so much for sharing all your wisdom on that. It's going to be so helpful. I'm excited to share it for sure. So thanks for having me. So we, where can our listeners find you? If they want to work with you, they want to hear more of your thoughts. If they want to listen to those podcasts or read those blog episodes that you're going to come out with kind of like social media websites, Mm -hmm. if you have any programs coming out, they could work on anything like that. Yeah. Yep. So they can always find me at the kitchen invitation invitation.com. Um, you'll see like the different programs I have, the services and just all, all different approaches, depending on where you're at and how much you want to dive in. So I have a completely online based program. I offer lots of different one-on-one or group packages. I even do like, I've done a couple like bachelorette and bachelor parties of cooking, um, virtually. So like there's like, there's a world of opportunity out there for cooking. So even if it's not listed on my site, I'm probably pretty open to it. Um, but yeah, anything you can find me on social media, as far as that as the kitchen invitation or my name's Jesse Holden. So search for it and you should find me. That is so cool. The, yeah. That bachelor what? party thing. Like that's awesome. It was a lot of fun. <laughs> Whoa. That's amazing. Yeah. Well, we will share all those links in the descriptions. So you guys can find them. Jesse, thank you again so, so much. And thank you guys so much for listening today. Hope you enjoyed it. Be sure to check out all of Jesse's things. And we will see you guys next week. All right, everyone. Have a good rest of your day. Bye. Bye. Thank you so much for tuning in on this episode of the Upbeat Dietitians with your host, Emily Krause and Hannah Thompson. We appreciate you all so much for continuing to support us. In order to support us and sustain the success of this podcast, please subscribe and leave a rating and review. If you'd like to provide us feedback for future episodes and guest stars, follow us on Instagram at the Upbeat Dietitians. Lastly, you can show us support by providing a monthly donation using the link at the end of our bio. Once again, thank you so much for listening today and stay tuned next Wednesday for a new episode. Until then, we hope you have a wonderful rest of your week.